You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Let's dive right into it here, a jam-packed episode for you guys. We're going to break down another convincing win for the Jets in Vancouver, tied for first, and that's right, baby, for about 20 hours. The Leafs are back up on top after an OT win in Ottawa, but still a good trip so far out west for the Jets. Then later on, I talked to the unofficial sushi supplier of your Winnipeg Jets, as well as a handful of other NHL teams as well. Chef Ed from Ujiro stopped by, talked about his place on Grant. The sushi is legit. The ramen is out of bounds there. There's lineups all the time. You can find out too what Blake Wheeler grabs when he goes to Ujiro as well. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. But first, a huge series upcoming for the Jets against the Flames. Three straight starting this weekend against their Western rivals. And we're going to head to Alberta right now to get the lowdown on what's going on in Cowtown. Flames beat reporter Danny Austin of the Calgary Sun and Herald is here. He's given an enemy's perspective on the series. Danny, how's it going, man? It's going well, man. Good to be talking to you out there in Winnipeg. Uh, Weird, weird time to be talking about the Flames, but... uh... Looking forward to this. Well, I, I want to, before we get to the Flames, get started with this. Because I was checking out your Twitter handle. And on your bio, you've given yourself the lofty title of the King of Snacks. Yeah, it's true, though. Nobody's ever... I'm very good with snacks, is what I will say. I like, you know, I like a little bit of salt. I like a little bit of sugar. I, I, I really feel like I've got it on lock. And uh, <laughs> until someone comes for my crown, it's mine. Right? So, I... I called myself the king of snacks and until someone proves otherwise i am the king of snacks all right king then what are the the three go-to snacks jets flames game one of a three-game series starting friday what do you got in front of you <laughs> you're putting on the spot that's funny um i i really make a a, a pretty sick nanaimo bar um wow. which is is a point of pride for me so that's like if i'm really trying to impress people with my snacks because i'm not making that every night let's let's be honest um so definitely an nanaimo bar um i mean look i i've tried and failed over the pandemic to, to master like a cinnabon style thing and like so i'm, I'm not really making myself look like the king of snacks here that's <laughs> largely been like a failure in presentation but in taste has been really has, I mean, it's been great for me, but I'm not. Yeah, but when I'm not, you're going homemade like that, that's like you're taking it up a notch. I'm pretty impressed. I thought we were just talking like opening up bags of chips and stuff. No, no, no. I try to make my own snacks. So, yeah. I mean, if I'm like, there are a lot of times where, like, I'll be real with you, underrated is just a little bit of olive oil with some balsamic vinegar and dipping like a French baguette in that oh. is just like, that may be my go to snack. Like, uh, there's nothing better. It's so simple. So, yeah, those will be my three. Although I like, strongly wish that I thought about this before. Well, I'll, I'll give you some time. If, if something comes up to you at the end of the interview, we'll, we'll come about back to it and then see if you've got uh, some, some concrete answers. I will that. say with chips, it's ketchup chips. There's no, yeah. I don't mess around. That's, that's my chip. That's my go-to. If I'm buying, you know, those little rice, I don't know what you call them. Like those little rice crackers. Yeah. Yeah. It's like rice crisps or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Still ketchup. I yeah. catch up all the way through. So that's, yeah. All right. 
well, that's my chef's opinion. <laughs> at least we're at least we're on the same page there, which is good. Well, yeah. uh, we'll shift over now to hockey, and I never thought I'd say this, but are the Flames happy to now see Connor Hellebuck in the Jets as opposed to the disaster in Ottawa against Philip Gustafson and the Senators? Like, what the hell happened there? I mean, it's been all year. They've been bad against against the Senators. Like, I think the Senators have what twelve wins and five of them come against the Flames. Like, it is the it is the I don't know if it's actually that strange. I'm not willing to come out and say that the Flames are a better team than that right now. So, I mean, the direct answer to your question is they haven't been that much better against the Jets. Um, I think they they've won a couple, but they've still lost quite a few. Uh, the Flames are just not that good a hockey team right now. Um, and I, I, if you told me they were going to go into this sort of pivotal four-game Eastern stretch, two games against the Leafs, two games against the Senators, and come out, you know, they, they played pretty well in the first game against the Leafs. But those last three games, they scored two goals. Two of those games were against the, like, worst team supposedly in Canada. And they don't, so at some point, I mean, what happened is this is who they are. You know, we got to stop acting like what they are is the team that won the Western Conference two years ago because there's no evidence that that's, that that's true. This is who they are right now until they prove otherwise. And it looked like maybe with Daryl Sutter coming on board, at least briefly, like there might have been a bit of a revival. But it's like we've seen over the past week come back to earth in a major way is the most obvious and the glaring issue right now surrounding Calgary is they just they can't score, plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, I'm not 100% sure. Like Sutter is making a difference. They do look better defensively. They look a little bit more structured. I mean, they were games were just getting away from them. You know, by the end of the first period, they'd be down three nothing. Um, but I don't. I never thought it was Jeff Ward's fault. I always thought there was something sort of broken within this this team right now and within the core in particular, and that just hasn't been fixed. So these guys are buying in to Sutter's system, but I don't know if. Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan in a dump and chase system are actually going to be able to produce the offense that they need out of them. You know, are they elite players when they're playing that system? I, we, we haven't seen it. So um, yeah, it's, it's a really complicated issue. And I mean, I, look, I, I suspect this team isn't going to win 16 of its last 22 games. So I, I think that there's change coming like Sutter is just the first piece. Um, but yeah, they can't score. I mean, They've been okay defensively. You're, you're still allowing third period goals to the Ottawa Senators late, yeah. you know, late in the game that lose you. That's not great either. So yeah, it's 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 ugly, but the scoring is what comes first. I just don't know that you're going to get the best out of these players, dump and chase. So it might just be time to kind of try to move on from some of them. Yeah, and the two big names for two seasons now, maybe since you mentioned they won the West is Gaudreau and Monaghan uh, still on the same line right now, it sounds like, although Daryl Sutter is maybe getting closer to splitting those two up. You would know more than I do about that. Um, what's next for those guys I, this season and then moving forward here? Because it does feel like we've heard enough chatter and smoke that maybe a breakup of one or both of those is just inevitable now. Yeah, I mean, it's hard like, with us not being fully in the – in the locker rooms or around like it, it's hard to know exactly so I, I want that caveat there that i'm not reporting yeah. anything here obviously it feels to me like they've got to move on from one of them um and this dates back i mean a couple of years like they when they, that year that they were first in the west they got dominated by colorado in the first round it was a five-game series but only because mike smith sort of stood on his head in net um so like it, it should have been a sweep and you start looking at it and we're like, what did that tell you about this, this group, about this organization that they sort of rolled over so quickly to, to the abs. Then last year, they, they weren't really what we thought they were going to be. And in the playoffs against Dallas, they really collapsed in the elimination game. Um, that speaks a little bit to some problems as well. Right. I mean, you begin to wonder, do they have that toughness and hardness that you need to go, to go deep. And then this year, I mean, it's just been, you know, they were talking about needing to work hard in the first period for the first 20 games. And it's like, how do you not work hard in the first period as a professional athlete? How is that something that needs fixing? How, you know, um, so with Gaudreau and Monaghan, I, I, I suspect it is time to move on from at least one of them. Um, I don't know what you're getting for either of them right now. And I mean, you want a first line piece back, right? Um, but I will say like, they're obviously the, the focus because they have produced higher. I mean, Kachuk hasn't been that great hasn't been what he was last year this year 
either. And he's, I mean, he's a little bit, he doesn't get, he's not, he's not the point of the criticism as much as those two, but um, he will be eventually. So it's nobody, Elias Lindholm has been good enough. I was talking with my coworker about this. The only two guys who have really exceeded expectations, three, two guys have really exceeded expectations. That's Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin on, on the back end. They've been exceptional. Um, and the third, probably Milan Lucic, but that's just because expectations yeah. were so low. Yeah. But he's actually been a, a pretty a pretty decent. He, he turns the puck over in his own zone more than you'd like, but he's been, he's been a useful player for them for sure. That's it. Everyone else, I would argue, has been, has not met expectations. And I mean, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned the pair of Hanif and Tanev who have been good so far. But I thought going into the year that Calgary had arguably the best decor in the North Division. And maybe it's just the other two pairings that haven't quite fit the bill so far. But what's gone on on the back end so far? Well, it's interesting. They had the biggest decor, but they had a couple of guys. I mean, Rasmus Anderson was being sort of moved into a bigger role. And we all expected him to. And, I, you know, he hasn't been bad. Like, let's be clear. He, he hasn't. He hasn't flashed. He hasn't necessarily, you know, he's not an all-star. But, like, he is taking on a bigger role. So I, I shouldn't, maybe he's sort of been one of those guys who sort of meets expectations. But the reality is Mark Giordano is 37 years old. Um, I'm sorry, most 37-year-olds take a step back. Um, most 32-year-olds take a step back. <laughs> and he's played a lot of minutes this, for this team. And it does look like it's caught up a little bit. So th- there's been that. And then Yusuf Alamaki is for all intents and purposes a rookie this year. He's like, he's on the third group. And I, I, I still think expectations are really high for him. But you just don't expect rookie defensemen to actually come in and be, you know, difference-making, yeah. mistake-free NHL defensemen. So there's no problem there. And then they've just that sixth defenseman spot. It's been a rotation between guys like Nikita Nastrov and Oliver Shillington, and it hasn't quite worked out. But, yeah, I mean, that Giordano, that Giordano-Anderson role, I mean, it, or pairing hasn't just hasn't been amazing really there have been lots of games where they've been good I, I don't want to point the finger at them but look they brought in Chris Danov and everyone talks like it's an addition it is an addition they also lost TJ Brody so that was a bit of a one-for-one move right and TJ Brody as we've all seen has been pretty good in Toronto he's a pretty good defenseman so um I don't like I don't know how big an addition that was versus uh, maintaining the status quo although Tanov has been terrific now, Jets fans haven't seen Flames Jets since pretty early on in the season. Obviously, the coaching change is going to lead to a much different matchup than maybe we're used to seeing. You touched on dump and chase and better defensively. Are those kind of the two main differences between the Sutter Flames and the Jeff War Flames? Yes. Uh, like to, to, to put it plainly, like, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those are. And I mean, the defensive thing, it's a little more structure. You just. Yeah, it is a lot of dump and chase, a lot of puck retrieval, um, and it's a work in progress. And, I mean, to be clear, Jeff Ward did more dump and chase than he's given credit for as well. He wasn't – he was trying to make this team less of a, you know, run and gun team. He was – it just wasn't really sticking and wasn't really working. So, um, yeah, that's the more defensive structure, a little bit more dump and chase. A lot less goals <laughs> on both sides. Yeah, well, except not less. They've had, they've had trouble scoring all year. It's just yeah. it's very pronounced right now. Uh, is this series against the Jets basically the last hurrah for the Flames this year? And it comes yeah. to, it comes to with the deadline kind of creeping up a little bit closer. So is there the chance that maybe if this series goes wrong, say they only pick up one or two points, could they be sellers at the deadline? So the answer is yes, but I've also said that like. 30 times this year. <laughs> um, I, I really thought going into Ottawa, I was like, you got to take, you got to get three points out of this. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I thought. And they got zero. I thought going, I mean, the truth is they won one of the games in Toronto. It's just the second game was so bad that it looks worse. Like they've been saying we need to be better than this all year. I mean, I think that to get right now, I did the math. The flames keep saying that they need to win 16 games. I actually think they need to win 17 games because the pace Montreal is on right now is for 66 points. So 17 games gets them, gets the Flames to 67 points, which actually gets them in the playoffs. They have 22 games left, I believe. I, I should double check that. Don't. I got lots on my mind. <laughs> 22 and 23. So they can yeah. only afford five or six losses 
and this team is is losing a lot right now. So it's like, I I, I think we might be past the last hurrah, but you win two against Winnipeg. We know how much the head-to-head matchups count. So you you know you you can maintain some hope, but yeah, it's it's over. And yes, they could be sellers at the deadline, and I think it's easier for them to be sellers than buyers because you can trade a guy to the states for prospects and not really worry about the prospects coming up right now, right? Like if you're if you're giving up on the playoffs, you can't trade a guy to the states and get someone back who you need because the two weeks things just kills you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, we'll try to shift gears to something a little more optimistic and positive here. I don't know how much Winnipeg Jets you've watched this year, but just from an outsider's perspective, I always love these takes. What have you seen and what do you think of the club? The thing is, I've always liked the Jets. Like, I, I thought that Flames-Jets series last year, had the Jets been fully tooled up, yeah, goes, goes very, very differently. Um so, yeah, I mean, what I like about the Jets is they just roll lines at you, man. Like, it's I, it, it's all, it's kind of been the thing. It's like, that's what I'd be trying to build if I was an NHL GM. And they, I think that that is what the Flames don't do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I like them. They're, they're big. They seem kind of tough. Um, and they played together a little bit, right? So, I like the Dubois trade. I don't actually know what his numbers are. Um, but I do yeah, think he's a – Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. I do think – I mean, ultimately, though – He's a high-end player. This is a weird year. It's the one hesitation I have. Like, if this was Goudreau and Monaghan's first, like, sign of being a little bit of underwhelming, I'd be worried about him. Ultimately, look, I I think Dubois, that was the best you were going to get this year. Yeah. Yeah, You were sending the other way. So Yeah, Yeah, he's he's coming along, too. It was just a – and obviously with the quarantine and all that, like, it's just tough to get going on a new team. But him and Ehlers and Connor have, like, certainly picked it up big time of late. Yeah. Every time that I, like, I, you know, I don't know if you have this as a sports fan, but, like, there's guys who, like, you'll be on Twitter or, like, you'll have Sports Center in the background and you always hear their name. Yeah. Um, and, like, I can't, like, what it's in a sport. Connor is that guy for me right now where I'm just, and I don't know if he's actually, you know, scoring at a 70-goal pace, but I just always see his name. So I assume he's amazing. Um, <laughs> but I'm not paying that close attention because between the Flames and then, all the CFL garbage of the last couple of weeks. I've been pretty uh, wrapped up in in Calgary sports. Yeah, well, that that's completely fair. And yeah. I, I wish we had another fifteen minutes so we could talk about whatever's going to happen with this CFL. I mean, that's just what what an insane couple of months it's going to be moving forward here. Um, it's but stop being fun, man. It's not fun anymore. Like it's it's just people <laughs> like nobody has any actual information because the league office is keeping it. So it's just people fighting about like growing revenue and it's like you none of us know anything about this like so yeah it's a i hate it i really i really hate it <laughs> well let, let's end on a bit of a high note then did uh did any other snacks come to your mind king man no, no we're sticking with what i no. gave you we're sticking with what i gave you i know that there will be people who say i'm not the king but Come at me. I'm telling you, hey, you, you mentioned sweets and homemade. So you're. Yeah, the other thing is, for, for like two years up in McMahon Stadium, like for, they just didn't have any snacks. And I just constantly complained on Twitter. And now we get popcorn. <laughs> and so, like, I have like actual proof of my success as a snack king. Because I, I the whole media contingent owes me for that popcorn. <laughs> so, something. It's a start. We'll, we'll see where your reach goes in the uh, days and weeks to come. Thank but you. in the meantime, thanks so much for joining me today, Danny. This was a blast. And, I mean, who knows where things go this season. But next Jets-Flames meeting, let's uh, meet up and talk again, all right? Absolutely, man. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me on. Great talk there with Danny. Sounds like this is a prime opportunity for the Jets to step on a wounded opponent in the Flames. You know, I've wondered for a while, and it sounds like it's finally coming to a head in Calgary. It just there seems to be a realization that the core they have isn't good enough and change is finally coming. What that is, I have no idea, but we'll find out pretty soon in the months to come. But it sounds like it's last stand time for Goudreau and Monaghan and, and Giordano. A big series for the Jets, maybe an even bigger one though for the Calgary Flames as they try to make a last second playoff push. Now just some quick thoughts on Jets Canucks. A 5-1 victory on Wednesday night in just a second. But first, basketball has officially entered the second half of the season. 
This is the time for teams to prove if they're contenders or pretenders. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Get in the action now to claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using code THPN during sign-up. Daily fantasy basketball, super simple. Pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and then see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, every steal, every assist, block, all of it means so much more with a DraftKings Daily Fantasy lineup. Any Sixers fans out there? Any bandwagoning Brooklyn Nets fans out there? Maybe the Heat after what they did at the trade deadline. Pay, poised to make a big late season push. You can grab all of those and maybe a sprinkle in a Raptor or two as well. Kyle Lowry sticking with Toronto. How's that for a little daily DraftKings fantasy lineup? And with DraftKings, payday comes every day per players. So what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during signup. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Again, that's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Now, just some quick thoughts. Let's go back to Wednesday night, late Wednesday night. Jets, Canucks, 5-1 victory. Andrew Cobb may have had the ugliest four-goal game you will ever see. But what's not ugly is when he hits the negotiating table with Kevin Chevalier after the season. And he says, you know, let's make it four mil a season right now instead of just a shade under three. And what is also sexy is the 100K. I think her name was Marsha, Marsha, something like that. But how awesome is that that she's able to basically have a life-changing night because Andrew Cobb takes it to the Vancouver Canucks. So outstanding performance from him. And the second power play unit as well. You know, it's pretty crazy. The team's most dynamic offensive player and their best power play defenseman are on the second unit right now. So it's just, how remarkable is that, that you can throw that kind of talent and you, you really have two dynamic, and I would say two number one power play units. I mean, I wonder how many... Power play units across the NHL would be better than one that has Ehlers, Pionk, and then Pierre-Luc Dubois as, as kind of an afterthought, as well as the four-goal man in, in Andrew Kopp. So they picked up the, uh, the slack as of late, no doubt. Also, Connor Hellebuck. A ho-hum 30-plus safe performance from him yet again. You know, I gotta say, <laughs> and this is gonna sound funny, but I think Connor Hellebuck is taken for granted sometimes in the city. Maybe it's just because I'm watching the Flyers and their goaltending unravel before my very eyes. But this kind of play in the crease is special. So just be thankful. Be happy. Hellebuck made it look super easy against the Canucks. He was outstanding specifically in the second period as well. So just enjoy having one of, if not the best goalies in the entire league for $6 million and change for the next couple of seasons. So the pack skid continues. Three straight against the Flames coming up. We're going to break down those for you on Tuesday's episode. But without further ado, you've been waiting patiently to hear from the sushi and the ramen master himself. Very pleased to bring on the executive chef from Ujiro Restaurant, Chef Ed Lamb. Ed, how's it going, man? Good. Thank you. How are you? Really good, thanks. Hey, Ed, before we get started, are you a big hockey guy? You've been catching up on the Jets' hot run of late? Lately, yes. Since <laughs> I opened up uh, Sapporo, which is at uh, Tune-Off Center, we've been following them. And uh, a few of the players are regular here. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Miller is, is once to twice a week order. So what's what's the Blake Wheeler role then? Blake Wheeler is Bluefin Tuna and Sam. Oh. He will order 10 each nigiri. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, every time he orders 10 bluefin nigiri, 10 uh, salmon, uh, salmon nigiri. Yeah, he's, he's big on that too. That's all. Well, so you're slowly kind of becoming the official sushi supplier of the Winnipeg Jets, it sounds like. 
we don't by the way we say that uh we are we are so lucky we are get uh, invited by uh delta hotel that uh take care of the sushi sushi menu for all the uh nhl hockey team when they come to winnipeg and played really yeah so we did we, we did a couple of them already we did for i think the oiler and montreal i think both team that uh they come and they stay at delta and they can pick what they want to eat so when they pick sushi then we will go we'll make the sushi for them wow and that happened so a couple times this year well what are the orders like is it are, are we talking like super big are they going through the whole menu what's what's the process like no, um, so each team usually have 45 to 50 people when they come to town to play. And we make, uh, we make uh, like a, a kind of a set for them that's including sashimi, nigiri, and then some roll, uh, like a little bento box. And yeah, each team we make a little bit, little different stuff. So, the, you know, it's just, just something different. Is it fair to say that Yujiro is ramen and sushi forward, or is there a little bit more that goes into the menu? Yujiro is mainly sushi. Up until, I think, four years ago, our lunch is not very busy, so I decided to bring in ramen. And then, I think five, four, four, five years ago, and then uh, we start doing ramen. And then the reaction go crazy <laughs> and very, very happy customer like it. But then we're only able to do ramen for lunch because our dinner is really busy. Um, that's why we have to still keep room for, for our sushi dinner, sushi customer. So we're only doing ramen at lunch. And the reaction is phenomenal. We start doing ramen, but then Ramen, we get we get really famous on ramen, but then Yujiro is really a sushi restaurant. So does that did that bother you at all that all, all these people are coming in for ramen and you're like, well, hold on a second, our sushi is some of the best in the city? No, actually, um, our our ramen customer is 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 pretty. Different too. They come in. They have ramen. They will have uh, some sushi. Uh, they will have combo. We have combo with ramen and sushi roll. So like ramen for lunch, we think maybe thirty five percent. Thirty five percent of our business is ramen, and it's still sixty five percent is sushi. But then, like honestly, like I I I'm really really honored. There are times that. Before we even open, we have a lineup outside. You went to a trip to Japan about five years ago, and you said that that really changed the way that you thought about ramen, and then you brought that into the restaurant. Can you explain your trip and, and just kind of how all that took place? Before the pandemic, every second year, me and my partner, we would go like a trip to Japan to just you know explore food and stuff. And then five years ago, roughly, yeah, uh, we have uh, a chance to visit one of the ramen restaurants. And then I found out exactly how the day-to-day activity to make, prepare and make ramen. And that's actually, well, myself, I'm Chinese. So then I kind of see that it's like it, it, it really similar with the way that we do Chinese noodle. Uh, the way they make broth and the way they prepare the noodles, the char siu. After that, we really look into it and go through the history of ramen and everything. And it is come from China. So our ramen is mostly, well, most most our mostly popular ramen is not the standard ramen that you find in Japan. Top two seller is Dandan, man, Dandan Ramen and Chicken Karage Ramen. Which a Dandan Ramen you can find in Japan, but it's completely different compared to our one. So that two ramen that we 
uh, kind of modified and created based on Chinese uh, style of making soup and combined with the Japanese. And it, it worked out pretty well. It works out very well. <laughs> yeah. Of course, we still have the standard one, like the miso and the hakata. And uh, for usual, we have seafood ramen. Seafood ramen is afterward, we come up with, uh, because every week we have so many fish that came in from Japan. You know, I prepare it, get it ready. And then we have the fish head, fish bone, some part that on the fish that we don't use for sashimi. Then I feel waste just to throw them out. We have like 20, 30 fish a week just come in. And some are like five pounds, 10 pound fish. So I talked to one of my chef in kitchen and then they say, well, why don't we just do a seafood ramen with, uh, you know, a kind of like a fish broth. So that's how it came out. And our seafood ramen is really limited. Like, you know, we sold out, we sold out. So I'm always fascinated by the broth making process because the, the broth is the backbone of, of any kind of ramen. Right. Uh, can you explain just how long it takes you to make the broth for your ramen? Ramen, basically, uh, like you say, the broth is the backbone. But there's two mainstream on ramen. One is with pork broth. The other one is with chicken broth. Okay. We do the pork broth uh, soup. We just stay true and simple, uh, but we use a lot of ingredient. Like we probably use 30, 35 pounds of uh, backbones and other 20 pounds of thema to make, I would say 60 liter of broth. And then um, the other ingredient will be garlic, onion, kombu, stuff like that. Uh, the broth making processing, the one thing is, I, I think for us it's a little different, that we we will reuse the bones, boil for eight hours, and they will drain it. That's what we call first broth. We take the first broth out, and then we add water to the bones again, the pot, and then we'll make the second broth. And then after the second broth, We'll do it one more time. The second broth will cook around 12 hours. And then the one more time, we'll make third broth. The third broth will be the nicest color. The third broth is always like milky white. But of course, it's been boiled three times. So the flavor is less. So what we do is the first, the first broth, we'll use it for Hakata ramen. And then the second broth and the third broth will mix together. And then we'll use it for all the other ramen because Hakata is pork prone broth. The other ramen, for example, like miso, you know, you're mixed with miso paste, uh, spicy miso, you mix with, uh, you know, chili and miso paste, uh, garlic, and then etc. dandan, you know, sesame, uh, peanut butter, etc. like this. So the first broth is always the best. I have really, really strong flavor. But then if I use the first broth to make the other ramen, it will be overpower the pork bones taste. So we, we, we really want to highlight each individual ramen for their own characters. So for Dan Dan, we want the, the sesame paste and the peanut butter come out. But then you need you need a kind of like a, a, a layer of the base favorite. So that's why we invented that. Well, I can't say I invented that. I'm, I'm pretty sure somebody out there is doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. you, you perfected it, though. <laughs> we try our best. We yeah. Our best. <laughs> now, there's a funny story, too, because a couple of your ramens that you mentioned, right. a lot of spice, a lot of flavor, but it's it's pretty spicy. Did you find out when you first brought it over that you had to tone down the spice a little bit because Winnipeggers maybe couldn't uh, stand up to the heat that you were throwing out? Our spicy ramen <laughs> was crazy. Like, it, it was it was like, it'll give you a good memory. <laughs> uh, we make our own chili oil. Where I come from, my hometown in China, is uh, pretty famous for the chili oil. So I got the recipe from my grandma and then 
you know, we start making it ourselves here. And then I also have a chef that work in the kitchen, running the kitchen for me. He's a Malaysian Chinese. Honestly, buddy, you never see people eat spicy like him. <laughs> oh my God. He, he is insane. He can, he can eat so spicy food. So we kind of mix together and then we create our chili oil. So each bowl of ramen for the regular spice, we use half, uh, well, one teaspoon of the chili oil. Wow. And people are complaining. People <laughs> are like, well, I can't, I can't, I can't eat this, man. This is way too spicy. But then again, I have customer from Asia, from China, that come in, I want uh, super spicy with extra chili oil on the side. And then they say, yeah, that's, that's okay. It's not too spicy, <laughs> you know. But that time we don't have a lot of uh, people who uh, complain about the spice. Honestly, um, well, like yourself, it's our customer for a while. I, I'm pretty sure your spicy torrent right now is, is completely different when you first try our ramen. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting up there now. And I was actually, my, my next question to you was going to be because I'm a huge spicy oil junkie. I love any kind of hot chili garlic oil. Like, I'm, sign me up for that. I was just going to say, yours is a special kind of addicting. Have you thought about selling your spicy oil by the gallon? Um, we are just did our first shipment to Deluca. Oh, really? Uh, yes, we are selling... Well, I, I don't know, you know, we, we are already selling our uh, ramen kit to cook at home. And we just did our first delivery to Deluca, I think, two days ago for our chili oil, uh, XO sauce, and XO mayo. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, you can get them at, uh, I think, right next week, maybe, they will start pushing on the shelf. And then I think Millimeat, uh, safe, uh, not, not safe on, uh, what is the other place? Uh, co-op, they will also carry them. That's yeah. awesome. So before we get to the sushi and the sauces, can you just explain what goes into your ramen kit and how, how people can buy it and make their own at home? The ramen kit is 90% exactly like the ramen you got here. Uh, because we make the broth and we package them and we super freeze them. So you basically reheat the broth. The broth come in like an ice pack. So you just reheat the broth. The noodle is uh, fresh frozen. So it's a raw noodle, but it's, it's frozen. So it takes two and a half minutes to cook the noodles. The only thing you don't have in the ramen kit that you uh, that is the, the egg because I cannot freeze the egg. So you have char siu, we, we, like basically the whole kit we made from scratch, just like the, uh, the ramen you eat here. We, we have braised our own char siu, we slice them, freeze them, uh, bamboo suit, uh, we dehydrate our own green onion, and then we put it inside, uh, sesame, peanut, uh, the peanut, crushed peanut, shallot, crispy shallot, everything. Pretty much same as here. The only difference is, oh, no, there is different is the dandan ramen, we didn't have dandan pork inside. We have char siu. Same thing with the chicken karage. We call it uh, uh, spicy garlic miso. That one, you don't have chicken karage because it's a deep fried chicken. Yeah. It doesn't work. So we put char siu instead. And yeah. But other than that, the broth is exactly the same. Uh, the noodles exactly the same. The char siu exactly the same. All the other ingredients are the same. And if you buy the kit, there's actually a QR code. You scan the code and then it will bring you to our YouTube page. And you see exactly how step-by-step step to do that. And also we have recipe. Uh, we, have, we have suggestion recipe how you use our sauce too. Like we show you, you know, you can buy the sauce, you can make uh, a, a, a kind of like a spicy wonton to, to, to use the sauce. You can make a, a chili oil pasta. I don't know, it, it, maybe it sounds funny, but it's so good. 
This is the best news I've heard all weekend. So thank, thank you. <laughs> this is perfect. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I think I might have to use your ramen kit if it's okay and, and pass it off as my own so I can impress my wife for supper. Is that is Oh, that yes. Cool? Of yeah? course. That's the whole concept. It's you made it, not us. Yeah. You buy it from us, but you made it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well, let's shift over to the sushi now. And you touched on it, I believe, earlier in the interview, but not a whole lot of ocean here in Manitoba. Do you get the majority of your fish from Japan? Yes. Um, all our white fish. Well, actually, puna and salmon, except these two. Like the, the albacore tuna and the salmon. Salmon is actually either from Russia or from Alaska. We only sell uh, sockeye salmon, the wild salmon. Tuna is from Mexico or Taiwan. Other than these two types of fish, I would say 95% of all the other fish and uh, shellfish you eat here is actually from Japan. We have shipment coming once or twice a week. Depends how busy we are. And then uh, we will prepare all the fish. We... Uh, we wrap them. We have an aging freezer. I mean, cooler. We have aging cooler. We will usually age our fish two to three days. So this question, a lot of people say, oh, um, is your fish fresh? Like, it's, it's a little hard for me to answer. My answer would say no, because usually you shouldn't sell, like, like, mm-hmm. like really fresh, like off the water fish because you, you need the enzyme to break down and the umami come out. But there's a, there's a way to do it, not just, you know, put in your cooler. You have to preserve it. You have to, well, the way you preserve it, you use different stuff, you know, uh, uh, measure salt, uh, kombu, stuff like that to, to prepare your fish and then do age in three days. And then when you send it out, it's it just different. There's, there's quite some customer here that keep asking, like, how come your, 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 your sushi tastes different? How come your sashimi tastes different? I guess I, I, I thought everybody buy from the, you know, pretty much the same buyer, a supplier. I say, yes, not most of my fish is from the same supplier a lot of people are getting, but some I get directly, like, hand-picked in Japan. Of course, those are super expensive. Bluefin tuna. We use quite a bit bluefin now. Uh, we start switching on to really focus on bluefin tuna around two years ago, two and a half years ago. That is not from Japan, but that is from Japan. See, this is this is kind of confusing. Why? <laughs> I, why I say that? Our bluefin tuna is actually from Nova Scotia, but funny news most people don't know is. Most, like I would say, 85 to 90% of the bluefin tuna that the fishermen that, sh- that they caught, they all sell to Japan. It's kind of like a, like a license to Japan. Like, whatever you catch, I'll buy. And then a number of restaurants in Canada or even in the state, they are buying tuna from Japan, but that actually tuna is actually caught in Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah. So they actually go a big circle. Yeah. They go a big circle and come back. And then, of course, you pay the price maybe, I would say, 80% more expensive or even 120%. But there's, there's nothing you can do. Up until two years ago, I just stumbled on the, uh, a fisherman from PEI. He is one of the rare fishermen that don't really like to sell their fish to Japan, like, like, you know, exclusive to Japan. Yeah. So I start buying from him. Um, he will get better money from us, but then we will pay cheaper than buying from Japan. So, so a lot goes into making sushi as opposed to just eating it. There's, there's a, a much, much more complicated process that I think a lot of people realize, right? Right, right. When it comes to the rice, Whenever I try to make sushi at home, it's a complete disaster. I either burn it, it's too wet, like just something goes completely wrong. How long did it take you to perfect cooking the sushi rice? And is that as important or maybe even more important than getting the highest quality fish ingredients like you do? Yes, 
Rice is number one. Number two is seaweed. Fish is number three. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. rice is the most difficult. Um, when you ask this question, it's a very good question, but uh, the answer will be, I'm still trying to figure out because every pack, every we call it every sack of rice, a little bit different. So even though they're from the same crop, every time we cook rice, we are talking about a millimeter uh, different, a millimeter height different of the water level, we change the, the, the rice stickiness. And when you put in the, the vinegar, how you make the vinegar, how you cool them off the rice, what's the temperature you keep the rice in your warmer, those all change. We're still learning every day because the rice is always different. I think we, uh, you drill uh, using the most expensive rice in central Canada sushi restaurant. Like one, one sack, which is 18 kilo, is $140. Oh, oh. rice. Yeah. Rice is very sensitive because rice is a kind of like a semi dehydrated product. And Winnipeg is not, the weather is not really. We're in North America. It's not really a place for rice. You know, that's mm -hmm. why those people is a bread and pizza, flour and stuff. So the rice gear to be more dry. Then you will have rice in Asia. It's more humid place. And then where you keep your rice is, is very important. And the weather that day would change how much water we add. So we usually, we cook rice two to three times a day. And each time we make 40 cups. Well, sometimes, like in a weekend, sometimes we go four times, cook four times rice. In a very good day, we can go to 160 to 200 cups of rice. Wow. Yeah. And then every time we cook, we learn from the previous time. So to make it perfect. And then our vinegar is actually the real vinegar and it's uh, a very very known brand from japan our vinegars come from japan i'm notoriously bad at, at sushi restaurants and trying to narrow down which rolls to pick so uh -huh. you could help me out here i'm a three roll guy when i go out mm -hmm. what are the uh what are the three rolls that you would recommend if i was to step down at yujiro and and grab something for supper at Yujiro, I will strongly recommend uh, Okinawa Road. So Okinawa Road is a uh, soft shell crab, and inside we put uh, our in-house make XO mayo, and then uh, topped it with bluefin tuna, and of course with other little ingredients, mm -hmm. dress it up. But then for myself, if I go to a Japanese restaurant, one thing I always order is a tekamaki. A tekamaki is a tuna maki. Okay. When you go to a restaurant, you want to see the ingredient and how good is the chef, you always order a maki. Other thing is when I go into a Japanese restaurant, if you've been to Japan, you see most people in Japanese restaurants, they're completely different style, ordering style compared to North America. North America, you come sit down, you look at the menu, I order what I want, and it come all together. In Japan, it's other way around. I order one at a time. So the, 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 the sushi is nice, and when he said to you, that's the time you eat it. And also a funny thing is, in the 17, 16, 17 years I'm in Winnipeg about sushi restaurant, I found out this sushi bar, not much people like to sit at sushi bar. Yeah. <laughs> in Japan, you want to book a, a, a well-known sushi restaurant and sit at sushi bar, you're looking at three months. Really? Yes. It's other way around. Everyone wants to sit at sushi bar. The reason why is when you order nigiri, the chef in front of you will make the nigiri and he would literally put right on your plate in front of you. And at that moment, you pick it up and you eat it right away. And that's... The exact taste, temperature, favorite, it's right there. Not to sit there for, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 
And especially when you're eating like a maki roll, the seaweed is all soft, it's not crunchy. So it's, it's quite different. Thanks so much for joining. I know you're super busy, so I really appreciate it. We do have a Winnipeg Jets game tonight. So Blake Wheeler gets the bluefin tuna. It sounds like that's got to be a part of the game day menu. What else would you recommend if I was to sit down for the Jets game tonight? What would uh, what what should I get from you, Jiro, that would make it the perfect game day meal? I, I would still say the you know a couple roll. We we have another roll called spicy sake, which is uh, a sesame sweet sesame sauce with uh, well sweet and spicy sesame sauce with uh, sockeye salmon on top and avocado kappa inside. Those of you really good and you know you know each role I, I try to suggest customer all the different favorite role so you're not eating everything same you know some like our role is pretty different compared to each other so that's 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 a good that's a good selection I love it I love it that's what I'll be doing tonight thanks thanks so much for joining me Ed I really appreciate you having me on this was a ton of fun before Thank we you, go Brandon. Yeah, just can you let our listeners know uh, where they can order Ujiro, any of your other restaurants, and then you mentioned some of the takeout kits as well. Yeah, well, Ujiro, uh, we we only do phone call, so you can call us at two zero four four eight nine nine two five four to place an order, um, or if you live in the region size, then we have Gaijin Isakaya. Uh, we have sushi there, isakaya menu, ramen also. Or if you live downtown, you can order from Sapporo, which is in True North building. But that that restaurant is uh, specialized in ramen and donburi. Donburi is like a sashimi rice bowl, uh, beef bowl, and stuff like that. Awesome. Well, that that's it, Ed. So th- thanks so much. That this was a really great talk. Thank you, Brandon. Well, there you have it. That does it for another episode. Big thanks to Chef Ed for stopping by. What a beauty. If you haven't been, 100%, go check out Yujiro. Grab the ramen. Grab any of the rolls they have. Honestly, they're just ridiculous. I'm deaf grabbing one of those ramen kits from DeLuca's, too, so I can look like a master chef at home. I kind of got to whisper that part so my wife doesn't hear me. But seriously, the XO Mayo that they sell as well, the bomb it tastes like all the good things on earth got together and just amalgamated into liquid form it's amazing so make sure you pick that up too and thanks as well to danny austin the king of snacks for stopping by as well he's not feeling great about the flames chances against winnipeg i guess we'll see if the jets can take advantage of that we're back on tuesday breaking it down for you guys all the stories all the highlights from three straight against calgary And I'll have an old buddy from TSN 1290 joining me to get into it all. I can't wait. It's going to be another outstanding episode. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Again, I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace.